Ultimate Escape is a family-friendly ministry that addresses sexuality. Some episodes may contain sensitive terms and subject matter, especially for younger children. Hello and welcome to the Ultimate Escape Podcast. I'm David Chenault. There are perhaps very few things more serious, more gut-wrenching, more difficult to understand or even talk about sometimes than sexual abuse, especially sexual abuse of a child. Unfortunately, many people find themselves in that emotionally driven moment of discovering that someone they love, perhaps even their child, has been a victim of sexual abuse. Today on the Ultimate Escape Podcast, we're going to talk with Steve Holliday as he walks us through those crucial first moments, those first few steps when you find out your child has become a victim. It is admittedly not an easy conversation to have. But we hope that having it from a God-centered perspective on sexuality could be extremely helpful in preparing you should that event ever happen. Or perhaps it could be helpful for someone who has found themselves in that moment to know where to turn or what to do. Here's Steve Holiday with the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Once again, in the studio with us, Steve Holiday. Steve, good uh, good day to you. Good to be with you, David. Uh, we're going to talk today about something uh, that's uh, pretty sensitive, actually. Um, and we've talked about some lighthearted things and some serious things, and today definitely we're going to be uh, going down the serious road. Let's talk a little bit about sexual trauma, sexual hurt, uh, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. something that provokes um, anger in people, something that provokes uh, some raw emotion, uh, sympathy for people uh, and people who have experienced it before. They know uh, other people when they hear of other people going through those same things. So today we want to talk about um, our initial reaction. How do we respond when we find out that, uh, say, our child has been sexually abused? And before we jump in that, let's, let's I guess, define some of our terms where we know what we're talking about. What is, how do you define the term sexual abuse? Uh, loosely, I would say sexual abuse is unwanted sexual touch. Now that's that's a really wide range there, and I, I like to use two terms: sexual abuse or early sexual experience uh, or early sexual encounter. Typically, with an early sexual encounter, we're talking about um, you know two five-year-olds you know spending the night together or you know out um, in the swimming pool or you know out playing in the woods, whatever. You know, there's um, mutual or it's kind of innocent. You know, no, nobody came in with an agenda. Uh, just for whatever reason, it happens, and that that's pretty common. Sexual abuse, I would say, you know, defined by age difference, you know, at least a two-year age difference. Uh, there's a power difference. You know, somebody's larger than someone else, or has has some kind of control over, whether that's threatening or just physical force. Somebody comes in with an agenda, so it may be a six-year-old and a five-year-old, but the six-year-old uh, has had some kind of early encounter themselves. Uh, and they're wanting to make something happen, and the other child, uh, they, they don't have any idea what's going on. They're not looking for something. So that's abusive in how it happens, although legally, because of the age of the people that are involved, it, it may not um, you know, qualify on anybody's legal definition of, well, this is sexual abuse because it's a five-year-old and a six-year-old. Right. Uh, but the, the way the five-year-old experiences that still could be just like it was an adult doing it to the five-year-old. Gotcha. So, you know, if, if we just look at all of that together, my child has uh, encountered something at an early age, or my child is the victim of sexual abuse. Uh, the end result can be very similar. And I'm not saying it always is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people respond different. 
uh, because you know how how one let's say you know eight year old responds to a early sexual encounter with another eight year old uh, may be very different how another child of the same age would respond you know to one is just a blip on the radar it's a, oh that's nasty don't do that don't you know leave me alone and they go on and and never think twice about it uh, another one can get stuck in that and it becomes a, a, a big thing on their radar as far as uh, childhood experiences you know i think one of the things to, to note is not to minimize something just because you experienced something like that and it wasn't a big deal to you doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a big deal to somebody else. So the experience that you have is completely dependent on the person receiving that experience, uh, mindset, uh, the way they interpret things and the way they they view things as it happens. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do most parents, um, how would they find out that this happens? Is it something, I mean, is this going to be a, a, a sudden thing? Is it typically, I mean, typically kids keep things private, don't they? Oftentimes they do. Uh, typically children won't talk about things that happen to them, especially if they feel a sense of shame or fear when it's happening or if, if somebody threatens them or tells them not to tell or, hey, this is just our secret. Nobody else would understand. All kinds of messages that uh, perpetrators tell uh, victims right. uh, that, that keep it locked in secrecy. Apparently walk in on it open the door to my child's bedroom and my child and one of their friends are openly engaged in some level of sexual behavior and I just walk in and see it. Right. Uh, or I find out years later from you know, somebody else somehow or another they they knew and now I'm dealing with the aftermath long after it happened. Right. Um, how a person responds to me is vital in that moment. Uh, because you know, either we're going to bring our emotion and superimpose that on our child, and they take their cues from us, or we're going to approach this very gently, almost like you know, instead of throwing a rock in the water, we want to just very, very gently slip it in the water so it makes as little ripple as possible. Gotcha. And then let's explore and see what you know, how how is my child affected? Uh, what are the facts? You know, what whatever facts they can remember. So let's say you find out, and even in today's world, I guess with technology, that it could be through social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be finding a picture on a cell phone right. or a tablet of some kind. Um, so a parent encounters. Uh, something evidence of sexual abuse of their child. Mm-hmm. Okay, first step. I find out I, I'm I'm just shocked. I'm immediately in shock and breathe, <laughs> breathe. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Um, take in a breath, let it out. Take in another one, let it out. Several times. There's no reason why you can't get through this, and there's no reason why your child can't get through this and heal and be okay. Um, you know, the sun is likely to come up tomorrow and the day after that, the day after that, uh, and, and I say this not, I'm not tongue in cheek. I'm saying this very seriously. Sure. Uh, parents need to just recognize, okay, this, hey, my, it feels like my world has just been pulled out from under me or, uh, my worst fear has just been realized. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me remember. And then if we're going to put the spiritual lens on, Hey, God is still in control, but let me just take a moment to make sure that I'm grounded uh, and I'm going to figure out a way to deal with this and we're going to get through this in, in the best way that we can. Okay. Okay, so now I'm ready to, to figure out what to do here. If I'm not walking in on the middle of it and I have a cushion of time to, to deal with my own emotional reaction, go vent, go vent, go, go counselor, a pastor, 
a, a close friend, somebody who is mentally, emotionally, reasonably healthy, uh, that, that is safe and trusted. Let me just go. I, here's what I just found out. Here is what I'm feeling. I can't believe this happened. How in the, I'm just giving a chance for all of that rawness to have a place to come out where my child isn't exposed to it. And I guess that's a big, big mistake some people make or a big possibility for a mistake is choosing who to vent to or where to vent. Mm-hmm. Obviously not social media. <laughs> Obviously not yeah, in a please public don't forum. Post, please do not post about that right. in, in the moment. I mean, there, there may be a time at some point in the future where you choose to share parts of a story, uh, but it, it is not in the immediate response and, and this is also not the time to go and confront the, the perpetrator or the person that you think may have done something. Or, you know, I'm in the process of a divorce. I think my spouse may have possibly done something to our kids. I'm so angry right now that uh, I'm just going to that whatever planted that seed of thought in my mind, I'm just going to assume it's right. I'm going right. to no, n- n- none of that. Um, is it better to choose someone farther removed from the situation or choose someone, uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, several different options. Yeah, I, th- I think those just vary by okay. by the situation. Yeah. If it's a, you know, there's already a, a strange relationship, I probably don't want to go to somebody who's going to be caught in the middle of that and just out of respect for them. Yeah. Uh, but let, yeah, let me go find somebody who, uh, again, I can expect that they'll keep it confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have high trust that whatever I choose to share is going to stay just between me and them. Uh, and I'm not having to filter. I'm not worried about, uh, is it okay to feel this way? Should I feel this way? You know, none of the Christian pressure of, but you're not allowed to think that or feel that or, you know, say those words. Uh, I just need a place where I can let all the rawness. It's kind of like word vomit. Uh, I need a place I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if I can do that and let it out, I'm going to be a whole lot more likely uh, to be healthy to have that conversation that I need to have with my child, whether it's a, a four-year-old or a 16-year-old. Uh, but I, I, they don't need to be exposed to all the raw emotion. Okay, so this brings in a, an interesting question here, because you talked about uh, you know going to vent someone, uh, finding someone that's, that, that's going to maintain confidentiality. At what point do we inject this conversation of legal reporting and responsibility? Somebody's going to have to report, especially if it's a mandatory reporting state. And the majority of states at this point are mandatory reporting, so it doesn't matter if it's a friend, a coworker, a, a, a coach, a teacher, a pastor, everybody has to report that information. Explain to us what a, what mandatory reporting entails. Uh, if I find out somebody under 18 or over 65 is being neglected or abused, somebody uh, says they're going to commit a crime, they're going to hurt themselves, they're going to hurt somebody else, that kind of information has to be disclosed to an appropriate authority. So if we're talking about childhood or a sexual abuse of a child, that has to be reported to Child Protective Services or whatever agency in that location uh, would, would be the appropriate one. And in the past, I think some states have had rules that only put that, that burden on specific people, um, teachers or ministers or certain a certain kind of person. But I think, as you're talking about, most of them today, it is, it is blanket. It doesn't matter who right. you are. If you find out, you have a, re- mm-hmm. a duty to, re- uh, to, to report that yeah, by to, law. Or to know for certain that it has been reported. Okay. So, you know, we don't need four people all making the same report. If, if parents are making that report, that's all I need to know. Okay. And in fact, typically, I'm working with clients. I'll encourage them, you know, if you feel like you can make that phone call, certainly would prefer that they be the ones making the phone call rather than me because now it's secondhand and for them to be in the process, it, it, a lot of 
uh, positive can come from that. Sure. I mean, that does bring up the, the big point of you know legal reporting, but I would put that much further down okay. in the process. Gotcha. I, hey, I don't need to worry about that. I, I just found out it's not time to make a phone call. There's, that, and that's what I want to make more. sure. That's what I want to make sure. We don't, we, don't yeah. wanna, we don't want to give anybody false information that we're not saying don't report it. Right. Keep it confidential. That's not what we're saying. But, Correct. but there are legal ramifications that are requirements there uh, for good reason. Yeah. But first, find someone that can be confidential. Vent. Yeah. And when I say confidential, meaning they're not going to go to their Bible study group the next day and say, hey, we really need to pray for so-and-so right. because they, they just, right. you know, no, and, you know, total confidence. Yeah. And, and the, the legal question is a, a later question. So you vent, you get a chance to process, maybe hear yourself saying some of the, some of the emotions and the feelings that you're having. Where do you go from there? Uh, then there's the time to have some kind of a conversation uh, with the child. Uh, and I need to listen. And you know, the primary thing in here is be able to listen. So I may need to prompt to help them be able to, to share. Uh, if they can't speak because there's too much emotion, you know, is there a way to facilitate? Uh, I know in one situation, a whiteboard was a lifesaver for a family. Uh, the, the child was young and wasn't able to give voice to what had happened, but was able to draw pictures. And so find some way to facilitate the ability of the child to share, here's what happened. Uh, don't want to press for detail. Certainly don't want to press for any kind of sexual detail. Just need to know what, you know, what is a concrete memory. And it's you know, totally normal for a young child or even a teenager or an adult to have a very spotty memory of what happened. You know, that's just the nature of trauma. Uh, the, the brain processes traumatic information differently than just normal information. Typical memories are hippocampus. Trauma memories are amygdala. You know, that's the the seat for emotional memory. And These so, are two regions of your brain. Right. So yeah. it's, it's very normal for someone to not have a chronological memory or to not even remember where it happened. I know that they did this, uh, but I may have it sequentially all out of whack. You know, if there's something that took place over several year period, it may seem like it happened, oh, maybe five times, but it actually happened 20 times. Uh, the brain just you know remembers some things, doesn't remember others. So never want to press a child or a victim to have to try to remember a lot of information. I'm just trying to give an opportunity for whatever is a concrete memory for them to be able to speak of that or express it without trying to dig or fill in holes that we can't fill in. Two quick points about that. Uh, one of them we've seen um, in our culture, uh, we've seen uh, cases of, of abuse being reported and things. And oftentimes, I've seen the assumption made that because there's a lack of detail or because what you're exactly what you're talking about, there's a an error in chronological uh, order or there's some missing parts, mm-hmm. that that is evidence for it not being a true accusation. And what you're saying is that that's completely off right. the table. Cultural myth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just the fact that uh, they're able to to articulate anything or or indicate any kind of situation mm-hmm. uh, is strong evidence that this is happening. Right. And obviously, you're at this point because you found some kind of evidence, right? That or that this or was somebody happening. had you know a memory surfaced, or right. you know, someone was just triggered. And again, it may be years later to be a 13 year old and be raped by a, a boyfriend or a close friend. Uh, and I may not say anything about that, but then at 17. I'm in a dating relationship and, you know, some level of sexual activity begins to happen and boom, that triggers everything comes flooding back. Or um, I'm flooded with emotion, but I don't have a concrete memory to attach it to. And I don't know what's wrong with me. Right. Uh, you know, that may be the thought in my head. Some, what's wrong with me? I'm, I must be really messed up. Well, no, you're not really messed up. 
um, you're you're dealing in the aftermath of something that uh, your brain has shut off. Sure. And so what what they're experiencing is very normal given that situation, but it's completely not normal for someone who's never had that experience. Sure, sure. Do I have to be an expert to ask my kid these questions? I see people, well, don't lead them on, don't offer information, don't try to lead them to a specific... Do I have to be an expert in that, in that I situation? I don't think you have to be an expert, but it can be very helpful uh, to get some coaching first because those are very legitimate concerns. I don't want to lead a child. I don't want to... Um, give off cues that I think they should say this, or I want them to say this, or the things that we may not even be aware of, like saying, well, that didn't, now that didn't happen, did it? Or they didn't do that, did they? Well, all of a sudden we've just told them how we want them to respond that that may not be accurate whatsoever. Right. You know, especially young children or victims of trauma uh, are easily influenced by suggestive or subtle communication. Sure. Um, I mean, it's already shameful enough, hard enough. Uh, there can be tons of fear. Uh, with the victim, uh, if they don't sense that this person is safe or that it's okay for me to tell the reality of it, they're likely to just say whatever seems to be go the easiest in that moment. Sure, sure. Um, so I sit down with my child. I, I kind of have a conversation. I start a dialogue, very careful, very gentle, um, not leading anywhere. Just just want to have a conversation. What next? Want to be be providing comfort. Want to validate. Certainly, if they're able to speak of it, validate how, wow, that, that takes a lot of courage to be able to talk about that. And I, I really appreciate you being able to have that courage. Uh, thank you for trusting me. So I'm, I'm validating uh, what I can, trying to bring comfort, reassure them that what they're telling me, I'm okay with hearing it. Now, I, I use that term loosely because it may call, you know, bring all kinds of emotion in me, but I want them to know that hey, as the parent, I'm capable of hearing this, um, that they don't need to be protecting me by withholding information. They want to bring truth into that moment. Again, there's so many different possibilities of what somebody's even looking at here, whether it's a, you know, I, I walk in and I see my four-year-old with a babysitter and they're being abused, or uh, I've got a 17-year-old and this happened years ago versus my 17-year-old comes home from a date and I can tell something's definitely wrong and they don't want to talk. I mean, all of these situations could be what we're looking at. So how I respond uh, is going to vary somewhat. Sure, sure. Um, truth, it's not your fault. Because in that moment, it probably felt like it was their fault. It's very normal for children to internalize responsibility. Most of us do that whether regardless of our age. Um, one of the core beliefs that get planted in sexual trauma is it's my fault or I should have stopped it. That we replay that scenario in our mind countless times um, because I, I want it to have come out different than it did. So it's this mental friction. It's like two pieces of sandpaper being rubbed against each other in my brain 24 7. Mm -hmm. So I need somebody uh, to help me, help me focus on the truth. It's not my fault. Because sexual abuse is, by definition, not the fault of the, right. of the victim. Right. But typically the victim feels like sure. it's yeah. their fault. So. Um, there's nothing you should have done differently. There's probably nothing you could have done differently to stop it. It's amazing how a five-year-old feels like they should have been able to stop the 18-year-old from doing what they did. Mm -hmm. Again, all these are just common dynamics, but in our culture, we typically don't ever talk about this. So people aren't prepared going in. They're just trying to, to deal with everything in the aftermath. Talking about it is the right thing to do. And again, we may have to be counterbalancing a message the abuser said of nobody will believe you or I'm a pastor. 
and you're a 15-year-old girl, who do you think they're going to believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that little message just creates all kind of doubt and right. silences or mutes the victim. And so being able to assure the victim, no, talking about it is okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, we will do everything we can to keep you safe. Because again, sometimes what the perpetrator has done is threatened. If you ever tell anybody, I'm going to kill your family, I'm going to kill your dog, I'm going to do something worse to your little brother or little sister, all kinds of potential messages. So talking about it is the right thing to do. I want to gather concrete facts uh, when I can, and it may not be in the first conversation. The first conversation may be a lot of listening and comforting. But to be able to come back and start to put a timeline together, uh, at least, you know, what sexual behaviors took place. I just want to get, get as much of the picture filled in as we can, recognizing there's some parts that may never get filled in. Sure. And, and part of the reason for doing this is when I do need to make a phone call, because if I've, if I've got a six-year-old who their babysitter has been molesting, uh, that's a phone call. That's got to be reported. But I want to gather as much fact as I can so that when I make that call, I've got information to share. Sure, sure. Uh, just remember to focus on what they do know, focus on what they do remember, and be able to let go whatever they don't know or they don't remember. Uh, this is likely to trigger all kinds of emotion about you as a parent, and especially if you as a parent are one of the people who I, I want to know, I just I need to know, uh, this is going to be a hard balance to walk. But again, that's the value of having somebody to go vent to is I can process my feelings and my emotions and not contaminate my child with those. Uh, Get professional help. Uh, Please get professional help now, not three weeks later. Get professional help as soon as you're able to. Uh, When I say professional, I I mean qualified, competent professional help. Not every counselor has been trained to deal with sexual abuse. Matter of fact, most counselors have had no training at all in any area of sexuality. I continue to be amazed at just the lack of professional training that most healthcare professionals or pastoral counselors uh, have when it comes to the area of sexuality. So many of them will list on their website, I deal with this and this and this and this and this, and I've got 20 different specialties that I deal with. But I may not have any training in that. It's just I've decided I'm going to specialize in that. And that's a simple question to ask. Uh, When I get on the phone with that counselor, hey, tell me about your training in sexual abuse. Any counselor who has gone through the training will be so happy to share with you what they've invested in because they've paid dollars and they spent time on their training. They should be able to cite, uh, you know, I had these graduate classes in sexual abuse. I've, I've been mentored by for X number of hours, this person who is a specialist in that area. I mean, they should be able to point to, here's the training that I've had. Sure. So if you get the typical, oh, well, I, you know, I've been working with you know people who have dealt with sexual abuse for 15 years. Uh, that tells me, oh, I don't have any training in it. I've just been doing it. Right, right. Uh, so I'm likely to say, thank you for your time and move on down my list. Sure. Now, I, I know not every place that you, where you know, people are living there might be somebody who specializes in sexual abuse. So anything that I'm sharing right now, I you know people take in context. Uh, but if it is at all possible, I want somebody who have been well-trained, they've been doing this, and, and they know what they're doing. Can people contact the Ultimate Escape Ministry and say, can you point me in the right direction? Can you give me some options of, of uh, programs or places that I can seek out these kind of individuals? Uh, I, I get those calls from time to time, and typically what I do is refer people you know, to, to the places where people get training for that. For example, uh, Institute for Sexual Wholeness, or ISW, it's based in Atlanta, Georgia. 
and they do Christian training for sex therapy. So you know, people who come through their program and graduate the program uh, are then credentialed with the certification as a sex therapist. The sexual trauma is a part of that training. Mm. Uh, there are some other organizations and, and workshops and places where uh, clinicians can go to get training. Uh, and Altescape is not, I mean, we're not set up to field phone call from hundreds of people. Hey, in my area, where do we go? Right. Typically, again, would refer, get on a counselor's website, uh, do a Google search for sexual abuse counselors, and then look through their information. Because typically a counselor that has training is going to list that mm-hmm. on their website, or gotcha. especially if they have a certification. So uh, the, the other place would be the um, uh, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, or CSAT, uh, because that, that's going to require a certain level of training in you know, sex addiction and sexual trauma. ITAP, uh, the uh, International Institute for uh, Trauma and Addiction Professionals. I mean, there are a number of places people can go and, uh, and find local qualified uh, clinicians. Gotcha. As soon as this process begins, um, and parents, especially if you're dealing with your child, um, we're talking about, uh, you know, my child, I've just discovered my child is a victim of sexual abuse, perhaps in the past or perhaps just recently. I have very strong evidence to the fact that that's what's happened. What do I do next? And we talked about breathe, take a moment, pause, Give some gap in that space. Don't let don't let the emotions run away with you. Then um, vent if you can to someone who can uh, remain confidential about that, um, and then begin a conversation with the child. Try to encourage that. Bring truth into that. Also seek professional help. I guess there's also a time at throughout this entire process we have to be prepared and have to understand that um, this could go a couple of different directions. Our concerns could be alleviated that maybe what we found, maybe what we saw, maybe what we encountered is not the full truth of what's going on. Maybe it's it's not as bad as we thought right off the bat. But I guess the other side of that is we have to be prepared that it's even worse than we thought. I would say the odds are it's it's going to be that. And so we have to be prepared for the cycle to repeat itself again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in the conversation with a child, maybe I find out it's someone that I never expected or or the abuse, this is not the first time. It's not a one time. And suddenly I'm back to that moment of where I just got to breathe again. So if I've just walked in on it, I'm probably not walking in on the first time that it happened, just statistically. Right. Um, For whatever prevention we can do mentally as parents, Uh, If I ever walk into a situation where something sexually inappropriate is going on involving my child or anybody's child, in that moment, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to say something that's going to produce more shame um, and more guilt and and make it more likely that they're going to shut down. Uh, When I walk in, let's address the fact, hey, number one, stop. Okay, This behavior is not appropriate. We need to stop doing that. Uh, If there are clothes off, put your clothes back on, get dressed. We're going to have a conversation as quickly as possible. I'm going to bring in, make sure I've got another adult in on this because I don't, again, it's a liability. I'm not a, not a lawyer. I don't give legal advice. Right. I'm saying if there's multiple children involved, uh, I probably want somebody who can witness. Right. Hey, here's how I handled that. And I certainly didn't have a conversation with a child who is not appropriately closed. Sure. Uh, so let's just do some basic first steps here. Uh, make sure everybody is safe. And then we have the conversation. What happened? That's not the kind of behavior. And again, I'm using adult language right now. I want to put it in child language. Sure. I uh, hate that this is not appropriate. Uh, it's not okay for people to be doing that. Uh, that's that's a private part of the body, not a dirty part. 
but it's private. And so because that's your private area, nobody else should be touching. Nobody else should be seeing that. Uh, so I mean, let's try to put some kind of a quick Band-Aid on this so that we're not just adding more uh, hurtful sure. uh, emotion in it. And then let's get everybody into a safe spot and let's have a conversation. Uh, who do I need to let know? Because if this is my child and another child, I need to form another parent. The last thing I need to do is hide this covered up or tell the child not to talk. You know, right. I have those clients where, you know, a parent walked in and it's sexual abuse that's going on and they just tell the child, don't talk, don't talk to your other parent, don't tell anybody else. You know, nobody else needs to know this. It just needs to stop. Well, the parent may think that they're handling that and, and they're protecting somebody. Um, they're just making it so much worse. Uh, by silencing the victim. Right. Especially I can see if, if you're dealing with an older child who experiences some kind of shame and what's I mean, that's one of the core things. They're mm-hmm. going to feel that. And so the child wants to cover it up. The, the, the parent or says make some kind of bargain with them. Well, we'll just keep this all quiet, which mm-hmm. is exactly the wrong thing right. to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can be such a difficult thing if it's your child that's the one who is initiated or that is the older child involved sure um, hey, I, I just want to ignore this pretend it didn't happen not have to deal with it um, but in the long run we're making it a lot worse and again that's about us it's yeah. not about what's best for my child that's about what feels like it's best for me in the moment so i just go into defensive mode i just don't want to have to deal with this and just making the situation worse which may bring up one of our a final point here in the terms of you know you mentioned getting professional assistance getting someone in there qualified to help out and that's not just for the child as a victim, but rather for the parents who is also dealing with this. Right. Some, so often we we focus on the on the victim uh, who who needs the care, in a, mm-hmm. a, but also we neglect the caregiver or the person who's helping out in the situation because you just experienced a traumatic situation right. as well. Exactly, it can be as traumatizing for me as it can be for the child who actually lived through it. And I need a place to deal with uh, how I've been affected by that, especially if I find out this is a, this has been going on for a long time. If it's been going on under my own roof, you know, whether that was a friend who had think back of a, a situation I worked with at one point where there was a group of four boys, all ages 12 to 14. And for uh, multiple years, every weekend, they would get together and have sleepovers at somebody's house. And so for years... Practically every weekend, this group of four boys are behaving in sexual ways together. When parents eventually found out, Mm. um, you know, it's not just it happened and it happened with my child, it happened with my child and several other families that I'm very close to. I mean, there's a lot of room for all that to go sideways quick and and destroy relationships. Right. Uh, So all four of these guys need professional help. The parents need somebody to help walk them through right. how, you know, the aftermath of how do we deal with all this. Okay, so one, one final thing to add about that, because I've seen this kind of thing happen, where this was a very traumatic event, not just because what happened, but because the parent had had a similar experience themselves, and their entire focus had been on breaking the cycle, and now they find out by no fault of their own, that their child has experienced something just like that, and it just brought the house down. Yeah, I've had clients in that situation where the parent is dealing with the blend of their own emotions about what happened to their child and their emotions of what happened to them, but it's so enmeshed in that moment, they don't have any idea 
how to separate out what am I feeling that's about my child, what am I feeling that's about me. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it just underscores the need. We, we need to get somebody involved who knows what they're doing and help us walk through this. As a community um, around, and maybe maybe the person listening to this is not the person who just found their child, but maybe it's it's a close friend, a, a family member, someone that got vented to, yeah. um, someone who is trying to walk along the side of this family or this, this person uh, and this child. What advice do you have for someone like that? Number one, thank you for being a listener, because uh, to be willing to get involved is a big step and, and a huge help. So I'm glad there are people out there who are willing to serve in that role. Pay attention to your own emotions. You know, the secondary traumatization, uh, hearing what somebody else is going through can uh, can be heavy on me. It can evoke my own emotions. Uh, so take care of yourself in that process. You can't control other people, so I can't make them do the right thing, but I certainly can encourage them. And I would do a follow-up, a, a check-in. Hey, I know you talked to me last week about whatever X, Y, Z. Where are you guys at with that? Yeah. Uh, have you been able to find somebody? Uh, so just a very gentle follow-up uh, so that it doesn't fall through the cracks. Um, you know, Many times we respond to things in crisis, but then when it comes time to actually take the step to deal with it, it's a lot harder after we've gotten you know a day or two past the initial crisis. Right. And so to have uh, an encourager in that process uh, can make all the difference. And you said before, uh, healing occurs in community. Right. And so um, even though that community may not be intimately involved with the specific hurt and the, and the, and the ongoing, but they are still there in a, in a supporting role mm -hmm. to, uh, to help that healing go forward um, and encouragement just day to day. Cause sometimes after a traumatic event like this, it's, it's, it's not, it's not dealing with the specific event. That's the problem. It's just going on with regular life. Um, sometimes it needs a little help yeah. in and, that community. And a reminder perspective, mm. Hey, and you know, five years down the road, you're probably going to turn around and this is a blip on the radar. You say, man, I wouldn't want to go through that again, but we've been able to come out on the other side and we're okay. Right. That can be a hard thing to keep in mind when the world is crashing in. Right. Um, but do want to keep that perspective. Uh, we, we're going to make it through this. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate it. Good to be here. And that's going to bring us to a close of this episode of the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget you can find out more information about the Ultimate Escape Ministry and all of the services they provide at ultimateescape.org. And if you missed any of our podcasts, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, as well as Alexa. Simply ask for the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Again, thank you for joining us. I'm David Chenault. This is the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Podcast.